0: to the podcast, Life to the Fool, with Nancy Campbell, founder and publisher of Above Rubies. Well,
1: we learn to forgive in that
0: home. Hello ladies, today I have a very special visitor with me, and I know you love it when I have uh, someone with me here, and it's always a surprise who it will be. Today I have Becky Leske with me from Georgia, and she is going to th- share with us today a tragic story. A story, though, that I know uh, we all must hear. In fact, I, I hope that you can pass this uh, podcast on to many others because it's something that we must know now. Becky's husband uh, was a doctor. Sadly, he's not with us today. But she's going to tell you the story about that. But he was a doctor. Firstly, um, Dr. Mark Lesky. He started his practice as a doctor in family practice. He was 27 years in sports medicine, he taught sports medicine also at Columbia a Hospital in South Carolina. Then he moved into the specialized medicine of wound care, treating patients with wounds from diabetes, radiation and infections, often after bone surgery, plus he had such a high rate of infections coming from the ICU where he worked in the Noonan Hospital in South Georgia. He was doing this for ten years. Um, it's amazing how many people get hospital infections in the ICU. So he was kept very busy. but he was really a genius in his field and had a great gift of healing. Um, he often used um, in the hospital, he had three hyperbaric chambers and and would often use God's wonderful healing remedy of Manuka honey. Yes. yes. But anyway, I'm just introducing her husband, and now I'm going to introduce Becky. Hi, Becky. Hello. Thank you for so having me. So great to have you with us. Well, um, that's what Dr. Mark was like, a great doctor, a man who poured his life into his patients. Want to say anything more about that, Becky?
1: I think you, you covered it pretty well. He, uh, he was an excellent, excellent physician um, because he cared yes. and because he believed in healing. Um, and he just loved people. As he loved his family, he loved his patients. Yes. Well,
0: anyway, this is back in the COVID pandemic. And both Becky and her husband, Mark, um, got colds. And, um, of course, he being a doctor, he had to be tested um, as to whether he could go to work or not. And so... um, you both got tested, and um, it was positive, wasn't it? It was a home test, and we were both positive, yes. Yes, you were positive. But you just felt like you had a cold, and At you got time better. Time. And uh, But then Dr. Mark kind of, he had some problems mm-hmm. with his respiratory. Uh, can you
1: share what happened yes, there? Yes, he um, just, he was struggling a little with breathing, and um, he didn't want to go obviously, to the hospital because he knew um, what was going on. Um, But I pressured him there at the last to go. Um, Just, I thought we could go and get some, the antibodies and get him some oxygen and we could get back home and he could, he could mend, but that's not what happened.
0: Yes. So when he got there, they kind of just, said
1: okay he had to stay well, what happened the initial on that monday we went to the er his yes. er where he was employed um at that hospital and um they did some x-rays did a ct scan and said that he had some pneumonia and they um he asked for the antibodies they denied him um he wasn't vaccinated and we felt um that that was a big part that played a huge role in that we feel and um they sent him home basically with nothing, just a z pack they didn't even give him antibiotics they didn't give they gave him a Z pack antibiotic, but they didn't send him home with oxygen um steroid nothing he he got he really it was a wasted trip,
0: wow, and so because of the pneumonia, you know he was getting worse mm-hmm. yes yes, and then so then you found that you had to um you know, he needed help with breathing. He did, yes. Yes. So, okay, you got him to hospital. He he didn't really want to be there. He, he didn't. He was seeing, you know, a lot of things that were going on. and uh, But I think he thought, well, he could most probably handle it. Um, you know, he was a doctor also in that hospital, and he could just let them know what he wanted. Right. Yes,
1: but... It didn't
0: happen that way, did it?
1: It didn't. Um, his biggest fear wasn't COVID. Um, it wasn't anything to do with COVID or pneumonia. His biggest fear for not wanting to go there was um, because he was afraid that he would catch infections, sep- sep- become septic. Yes, because which is he what was
0: constantly
1: yes. having to fix up infections
0: from the Correct. hospital. Yes, yes. So... Anyway, so there he was and and um you were very, very blessed, and that you were able to stay with him, weren't you was yes that just because he was a doctor there in the hospital
1: i I do believe we we did get that um, permission because he was he was pretty demanding about that he would not go unless we were allowed to stay with him yes and to our knowledge um, at the time uh that pe- Piemont Noonan or the Noonan um the Piemont hospital system had not allowed a family member to stay with a COVID patient full time. We were the first family to our knowledge that was allowed to be with a COVID yes. patient full time and we never for thirty one days we never left his side. So we saw, we heard we experienced um, some horrific things during those 31 yes. days.
0: So you were right there. Yes.
1: And that, I think, was
0: one of the saddest things during that pandemic time, yes. because it was a pandemic um, that no one was allowed to be with their loved ones. Right. And I think people were made to believe that that was because, um, you know, it was a, a, plan, a, pandemic, a pandemic, they thought, um, and, you know, that more people would mm-hmm. get sick. But the reason was they did not want anybody to know what was happening that's and what they were doing to their patients
1: that's my belief absolutely 100% that's my belief yes
0: so here you are your husband fit well healthy but he got pneumonia i mean i got pneumonia earlier this year and um you know it it took quite a long time right. for me to come right actually and uh, but i didn't need to go to the hospital And, um, of course, I think, too, in that time, because, you know, great fear came upon everybody. If somebody couldn't get their breath, they were rushing to hospital thinking they were dying. Right. But anyway, so you were there and um, knew what he needed. But everything that he needed, you found they were doing the opposite.
1: Right. Tell us the story. So we all knew by that time, even non-medical uh, people knew that the antibodies were working. Um, they refused him the antibodies, not not just at that hospital, but even locally at our local hospital in in urgent care. Once he was asked if he was vaccinated, um, he was denied. So we can only assume that that was the reason because we had neighbors that had gotten them at these same places. Um, but what was interesting is, you know, he was credentialed at this hospital. He had privileges at this hospital. He was an employee there. And he had really not much say in his care other than some things he denied, treatment that he wouldn't take from Desivir, which is a whole nother story. Yeah. And he refused the ventilator. Um, so when he got there, within probably an hour of being in the ER, they were pressuring us to sign a DNR on him. Which means
0: do not, not
1: resuscitate. Correct. Mm-hmm. And he, here he is sitting up in the bed and talking and conversing and saying, I would never consider signing that. I'm, no. I'm fine. I'm going to beat this. I'm going to yes. get up out of here and um, get back to my patients and my family. Um, but that was not their plan. And that's not what happened.
0: Yeah, So even though he didn't sign it. They, um, you know, they still went ahead with what they wanted to do. Yes, and, and you know, when I was talking to you on previous occasions, um, I was amazed at um, how they treated him and, and their standard of um, cleanliness yeah. and so on, which was obviously purposeful. Can you yes. tell us about some of those things?
1: And again, I'll, I'll preface my answers with this is what our family believes Yes, from based on what we saw what we experienced this is our opinion what we believe happened um the he was first admitted to what they call the step down unit which is not icu but it's a step down from icu um given we didn't know at the time um, way too much oxygen they blasted him from the very beginning and now we know that um, it was too much. And, and he would ask that and just they would not they would ignore him or um, they would give him a reason why. And that they would bring him down later or they would wean him down. But never he, he never got a satisfactory answer. And so he was constantly trying to um, be the teacher because there were a lot of in the step down unit. A lot of the staff were new, fresh out of school or um, just not skilled properly, and they would come in, and they would stick him for one blood draw. Sometimes he would be stick eight or nine times because they couldn't get a vein, and so he would ask as a patient, as a physician there, he would ask. He wanted a central line put in so that they could draw most of everything from that central line. They refused the entire 31 days, and um, he, he at, I'll get ahead of myself, but he, he ended up um, acquiring several um, hospital-acquired infections, which is the second cause of death. Uh, yes, because he went in
0: with no infection. None. Yes, and um, you were
1: saying that you know they dropped something. Oh, the they would. Um, this happened multiple times with with different departments, from the the phlebotomist who drew his blood to the nurses to the respiratory therapist. Uh, they would drop. There's a suction tube that was on the side of the bed for if we needed to suction him or clear out his nose, whatever we needed to do. It's called a yonker. And um, multiple times during his stay, they would drop it on the dirty floor. Even once we moved to the ICU, the care got much worse. They would drop it and then put it right back on his bed. They didn't bring a new one. They didn't wipe it with alcohol. They would put it right back. So we were constantly having to be involved in his care. I had to clean. My daughter has a video of um, the day he was moved to ICU. The room was so filthy. It was covered in blood splatters and vomit stains. And it looked like a third world hospital room. And I used hot water and towels and I cleaned the room on my hands and knees um, it was so filthy blood on his on the bed they put him in um, you know he um, had phlebotomists that would come in that would have their mask down and they would clearly have a cold and would wipe their their um, ungloved hands on their their nose to wipe away you know their nose and then touch the things that were getting ready to use on him uh, we had a, a nurse that had a long wig that she wore down, which was not protocol. That is a no-no <laughs> in a hospital, especially, especially in an ICU where people are very vulnerable. And he already, by this time he had wounds and several oh. wounds. And I was helping her um, bathe him and her wig continued to roll ac- across his wounds. And he would just look at me and he would say, they're going to kill me. They're going to kill me with infection. And we were just at their mercy. I I could give you, we could sit here all day. I could give you examples. I I can't even
0: believe what I'm hearing. In fact, didn't you try to have a meeting about
1: it all? I did. Not just about the the lack of... um, protocol not being followed, but the treatment from some of the respiratory therapists and some of the nurses, just the lack of care, the negligence. Um, it was the the communication from one shift to the next. Um, if you saw a nurse for, you know, hours, and this is ICU, um, they would, if they, he needed something, they would just continue to wait till the next shift you know the next shift to do it and just pass the buck along and um he would just decline when we would have those type people so I called a meeting um with the department heads and um I begged them I I I told them I would pay them I would pay the salaries of the people if we could just have the, the handful of people, the staff members that really wanted Mark to live, that care truly were administering care to him, we would pay, we would donate, we would do whatever I was begging for his life. And, um, so the, the doctor, um, that was a charge of his care. He was a charge of the meeting and he described to Mark as if, if he were giving up rounds to his students and he, described him as non-responsive, you know, naming all these things that he should be a DNR, but his family's resisting. And I said to him, I said, Dr. Patel, I said, do you, it concerns me that you're his primary doctor. And you don't know that right now he's in the room with an occupational therapist sitting on the side of the bed, trying to do exercises. He's very much responsive. But that was the type of, even in his medical records, at one moment, a nurse would have him unresponsive and another nurse or, or respiratory therapist or the doctor would have him up doing exercises at the same exact time. But It just depended
0: on the nurse whether did. they were um, going by the protocol right? hoping and doing everything they could to help him live.
1: Yeah, it, it was um, when you were living it, when, when you were in it. It was so surreal, but I think the the biggest thing that Mark, myself, and my daughter, who ex- was a nurse, who she was was a, a nurse, She's yeah. a, she was an ICU nurse at that time, um, at a different hospital, um, was the evil that we had never seen or experienced before. Um, it was a level of coldness and callousness that I've I've never I never thought could happen in our hospital systems, our healthcare system. Yes, and and
0: what gets me, is if that if they could do that in your presence with you there, and to one of their own doctors, what were they doing to people who they never allowed loved ones in? That's exactly they were just doing the protocol, right? And of course, the protocol for most was um, remdesivir and. Uh, which poisoned the kidneys, which was a poison, which was uh, planned by Dr. Fauci and became the protocol through every hospital and then onto the ventilator. Mm -hmm. And rarely did a patient come off the
1: ventilator. Right.
0: Yes. And sadly,
1: it's it's still the protocol today.
0: Yeah, that's what I can't believe. And this is still... So you get the message. If you have little Miss C... I will never call it the word because I am not giving into their narrative in one way. It was all planned. And if you would, I would hope you wouldn't go to hospital for that. But if anybody or friends are going, you better let them know what the protocol is. It's remdesivir and then the ventilator. Both kill. Yes. And yet there were remedies that, so many doctors who were seeking to bring healing to patients found were just absolutely um, always healed.
1: Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. We we he asked for certain vitamins. Um, they would order it in such a way that he couldn't take it. So yes. We I, I asked the pharmacist. I called down to the pharmacy at the hospital to ask, you know, for different vitamins to be put in a bag or. Um, and they said it wasn't possible. Well, why, why aren't vitamins possible in the hospital when we knew that C and D and zinc worked very oh, well yes. in, in helping, yes, um, build the immune system? And um, you know, we, we knew th- from the very that first could have that they
0: intravenously were intravenously d- put um, vitamin C into him.
1: Oh yeah, yes, yeah. But they the, the nutrition they they denied him. His staff brought over a very high protein because of the being a wound care center, um, brought him high protein drinks and the ICU nurses confiscated it and threw it in the trash can because they didn't, the hospital itself didn't give it to him. But yet the drinks they were bringing up, you know, were just, um, just sugary, nothing drinks. And then they denied him, um, to anything, water even. So it was, um, It was uh, an unbelievable, horrific experience. Yes,
0: unbelievable. All right. But, you know, um, I guess most of you do know that, you know, ivermectin has been found to be such a great remedy. Um, And um, I think it is a good idea for people now to stock up because we don't really know what's ahead. I mean, they did this and and we realize now that, you know, it was part of the plan of depopulation because that is the number one list on the um, plan of the World Economic Forum and the New World Order. In fact, on the Georgia Guidestones in your state, Of course, the Georgia Guidestones are no longer there, (laughs) praise the Lord. Um, God did a mighty miracle there and uh, wiped them out. It was obviously God because they were wiped out with lightning. No one has ever found anyone who had anything to do with it. But on the top of their 10 commandments for the New World Order was to reduce the population of the world to 500 million. Now, the current population of the world is... $8 Eight billion, so they have got a lot of right. lot of billions to get rid of, and they are wanting to get rid of them. This is their plan in their deceived, evil brains, and um, this pandemic was part of the plan. And um, in fact, they were really wanting to bring in another one this fall. I can remember Biden and many others saying there is going to be another, um, you know pandemic coming and you will have to, you know, wear masks again right. and you will have to be vaccinated. But there was such a pushback. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could just go on to Facebook, Instagram and yes. everybody was not me. You're not fooling me again. Right. Pushback, pushback. And now we're hearing nothing. It just shows you that standing up for truth does work. But there are still people who are so vulnerable and somehow uh, believe these things i don't know how but we have got more and more to stand up against them we must stand up because we have to know their insidious plans what they are trying to do and um so we do have to be prepared that when they try to bring in these things we will resist and also that we are prepared we you know and you I think we can on this transcript of this um podcast, uh we can put sites. You've got some yes, sites, haven't you, where they yes, can get me. remdesivir. Sorry. <laughs> you never get that. <laughs> I mean, um Ivermectin. And uh so and there are other things too. Yes. Yes. Which are important to stock up on. Um we do have them and we have used them mm-hmm. and uh I think that is important. Now, I remember you're telling me that um, when, you know, this was all happening, you tried to get um, the ivermectin,
1: and it was $500 a dose. We did. I I was able to get it, um, I think, the Wednesday after being at the ER on Monday, Mm -hmm. um, both $500 a piece for both of us, but by Friday, he... He was in the hospital and I couldn't couldn't give it to him in the hospital. Yes, once. But you
0: were able to get it for your I was.
1: I took I took yes. the full dose.
0: And you were just fine. Yes. yes. But
1: imagine that. Because
0: they did not want anybody to get it and you could hardly find a place where you could get it. I know friends who got it from overseas and down in Mexico they were getting it from everywhere because here in the USA they just would not let you get it. But right. you can get it now. And so it's a time to get hold of these things, isn't it? Yes,
1: it is. Yes. And also, you know, this is a different, I think, strains now have weakened. Um, but the Delta variant that, you know, what they called the Delta variant that Mark had, um, it did need, um, because of clotting, you know, the whole thing with COVID is the microclotting, And so even at the ER, um, they wouldn't give him anything to break up those clots in the in the lung and his own doctor who was a, also a, an employee of piedmont um had to sneak my daughter had to pick up it was like some type of <laughs> spy movie um in a brown bag sent him um medication um, because the hospital wouldn't give it to him which is the very thing he needed
0: oh but, i know it's so sad and you know the, of course, since that time, um, this is, your case is not an isolated it's case. It's not. And uh, you have been to a conference earlier this year um, where there were 650 widows yes. who have been through similar circumstances as you, yes. women who are crying and who are bitter and who are desperate because their loved ones were taken away. And uh, they were taken away insidiously. Yes. It is unbelievable. And there is no recourse. No. Um, You have tried. Every one of these women have tried. And even just recently, you've been working with a lawyer. Yes. Very, very good lawyer. And uh, he said, there is no way. Every loophole is tied up before even this COVID pandemic was released, yeah. they had it all tied up in the law court so that no one could come back on them.
1: They knew what they were doing. And so the now
0: there's all this. I, I, In fact, when it was happening, I, I was often thinking, wow, there's just going to be thousands and thousands of law um, courts, you know, because of all these people who've had these loved ones die and they were not meant to die. But now... you you can't no lawyer can take it on no this is so unbelievable i think the only thing left is that they can get hold of these stories and um if they have the right person who can take it to crimes against humanity that's our hope yes and is there a place where people can send their testimonies um, yes for this
1: if if your audience anyone in your audience um had a loved one die What is that if anyone in your audience has a a loved one that died of with a COVID diagnosis or or of COVID, whatever um, they can go to a website. Um, Do you want me to, to tell Yes, say it now? Okay. It's C as in cat H B as in boy M P as in Paul.org. And that's COVID humanity. I always get the acronym mixed up. I'm so sorry. Um, memorial project yes and uh there's hundreds hundreds of cases of stories just like my husband but the the interesting thing is you know social media has censored so much about the c word um that it's been difficult for widows and widowers to reach out to to find each other and so there's there's pockets and there's sites popping up where there's you know a thousand here, five hundred here, you know sixteen hundred here, they're everywhere. Um, so if if your audience could share this, so that yes,
0: so we will put that. I will put that website on the transcript. So if you have a story yourself or know someone, they can send it in there. That is really the only last recourse there yes. is, uh, because the. Courts are completely tied up. Uh, they made sure that happened because they obviously knew it was going to happen. And um, but um, I think if this could happen, it would be because justice has to be done. I mean, here because when you think about it, it, it has been murder. Absolutely. It, it's it's beyond serious, and people who have been quite happy to murder patients are still just there still attending to patients help yes it is so scary
1: and i think it's easy for people to move on you know uh covid fatigue was a real thing people were tired they didn't want to be masked anymore they were so thankful to let covid be behind us but we can't forget what happened we have to keep it just like the holocaust we can't we can't let it happen again. We can't forget these no, people that gave exactly. their lives. Um, yes. And um, even DeSantis
0: has shortened. There used to be a time of up to two years from grievances in a hospital of people who've died where they could, um, you know, go um, to the court to share them. But now he has shortened that to
1: one year. He did. Yes. He did. Why? That's a great question. It I would is. love to be able to ask him that face to face. Because, as you have found, when you go through
0: something as devastating as this, and your loved one dies, it, it, you you really it takes so long to even be able to think straight it again, does. to get yourself together, to do something like this, and um, then the time has passed,
1: right, where you can do something, right. It for I had two years. Georgia has two years statute of limitations, and. Although I had my daughter, um, you know, we talked to over fifty attorneys in two years. Um, but y- your mind is is so foggy and cloudy, and you are grie—you're trying to grieve and and tell this story every day, over and over, to people to, to listen to get help. Um, but there there was no there help was to be had. Yes,
0: no. yes. Now your husband actually went in to the hospital. And really all he needed was help with breathing. Right. And um you know but he ended up um with four infections which he got in the hospital. He had
1: multiple um hospital inquired infections. Yes, yes.
0: And hypoxia which really came through the
1: inadequate care. Correct. That's exactly what we believe. We didn't find out until we got his medical records a couple months later. Um just how sinister things were. And
0: he actually didn't have COVID. They never tested him for COVID ever. ever. But they did put that as number three on the list of why he died because they they had to get their money. They did. Because if they put COVID, they got money. Exactly. If they gave Rev remdesivir, they got money. If they put them on the ventilator, they got money. Right. And now the hospital where this happened, they have made $100 million.
1: I don't know the exact number but they are building a massive addition to this hospital.
0: Hospitals everywhere are building yes, out of the money out of COVID deaths. Yes. Because everyone they got money and so they were out to get them.
1: And the interesting thing is right at the beginning of twenty twenty when you know, this first hit the scene, I think it was the beginning of March, beginning of April when they approached my husband and the other physicians at this particular hospital that um, they were in such dire straits and their finances were, you know, not not good at the time. And they asked the physicians, would they be willing to donate 30 percent of their salaries towards this pandemic that was that was coming? And my husband glad we didn't know at the time what was going on. He gladly even he had some doubts of, of what was happening from what he was reading in his research, but yet he cared enough. Yeah. He had a heart of gold. He donated his 30% of his salary for months to that hospital. Wow. And now they're building. <laughs> you,
0: I, can't, you can't believe that, can you? And, um, yes. But then, okay, we get back to really where, okay, it hits you personally and the grief you've been through. But when you went to that conference with all these women, you, you just saw such bitterness there. And you knew you couldn't live like that. And so tell us, how have you been able to forgive what happened when they took your husband so... Well,
1: they actually took him from you. Yes. Forgiveness has been a... a um a journey for sure. Um, I remember being at the conference that conference you're talking about was in San Antonio in March and, um, some of the women were, um, doing okay, but they were very, you know, active and and politically trying to make sure this never happened again. And then there were some that, um, you could just feel the bitterness off of them. They, they were just devastated and very, very angry And I I remember looking and talking and thinking on the way home, flying back, thinking, God, I don't want to go into bitterness like that. Um, I was pretty bitter. I was very angry. I'm still very angry. Um, But I, in my heart, I knew that I would become just like those people that treated him that way Mm -hmm. if I didn't forgive. And Mm -hmm. um, I was at the conference in Florida and Allison's husband, Allison Hartman's husband, um, spoke to me about forgiveness, and after I had talked and given Mark's testimony there, and some of the things he said to me that day, really, I I took to heart, and I went back and I I prayed, and I said, God, I don't have the emotions to go with this prayer. <laughs> I don't feel like forgiving. I I don't feel like releasing this to you because it almost felt like a, a bomb the, the the hate and the anger um but I was able to say but I'm willing to give it to you yeah. and then I came to visit here um, not long after that and I was able to take communion for the first time yeah. in two years yeah. because yeah. I, I felt like I was at a place where I I wanted yeah. to forgive them
0: Thank you, Lord. I know it's not an easy thing, but it's such a powerful thing, isn't yeah. it? Forgiveness is just—it's God. If God's way is always the right way, yes, and it's what blesses us personally, yes. Yeah. So praise the Lord. Oh. Thank you, dear Becky, for sharing this. And you were saying that just recently you've met someone else who's just been through exactly the just yes. about the, same, the
1: same hospital. The same hospital, the same floor, um, the same doctors, most mm-hmm. of the same nurses, um, same respiratory therapists, and the exact, we can finish each other's sentences um, yes. on the treatment that her parent, both her parents died there within weeks of each other. Same treatment, the identical treatment. And and that's all over the country. The stories are nearly identical. Yes, yes.
0: Yes, so precious ladies, you know, we've listened to this story and the heartache of Becky losing her wonderful husband. And, uh, you know, this is what we have been facing in these last, you know, two or three years. But let's be aware, let's not cave in to their evil narrative. Let's be those who will stand up for truth and for righteousness and for justice and not give in. I mean, many can think, oh, well, you know, uh, they, they give in to the narrative of, oh, yes, but all these people had COVID. Well, actually, it was so interesting. There was not one flu case that whole time. I mean, it was really just another, um, you know, way of the flu. And and there's thousands and thousands who get the flu each year. In fact, I got the flu during that time. And I was, oh, I was so proud. I said, wow, I am amazing. I'm actually famous. I've got the flu. (laughs) No one else has got it. (laughs) Because I knew what it was. Right. Yes. But anyway, thank you so much for sharing and also sharing the greatest victory that you have and being able to forgive. And um, so, Lord, we just come to you. And, uh, Lord, we, it's just so sad to hear um, these situations and not just Becky's, but there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, Lord God. Oh, Father, we pray that you will be with everyone who has lost loved ones and you will help them and you will comfort them and encourage them. And Lord, help us all to not be deceived, Lord. Save us from deception. Help us to see through what things that are happening, And Lord, to rise up and be those who will stand for truth no matter what. It's not easy to stand for truth, Lord God. It has consequences and persecution, but we pray that you will help us, Lord. We want to be practiced. We want to be ready for that time, whether it's in our generation or the next or the next, when we do face the mark of the beast. And when no one will be able to even eat if they don't take the mark. When many, Lord, will be martyred uh, because they will not give in. But we dare not ever give in. We dare not. Help us, Lord, to practice now in not giving in. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.